0: Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now let's go to this week's message. Well, good morning, Father's House. Man, no rain this weekend. It's been amazing. So hot, though. (laughs) <laughs> so glad to have you in here this morning. So uh, if y'all don't know me, my name is Eddie. I'm a student of the School of Ministry, and it's my privilege and honor to be a part of the teaching team this morning. Pastor Terry and Anita, thank you. Um, I want to welcome our online church. I'm sure Pastor Terry and Anita are joining us through that method as they're out of town um, and enjoying some much-needed rest as they uh, do a lot here at the church. So OC, welcome. Good to see you. Um, y'all want to grab your Bibles, grab a cup, get your coffee. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and that you're using it to change our lives and guide us in the direction that you would have us follow. And that's after you. So thank you again for your word and let it do what it needs to do today and form us into the next us that we're to be. Amen. So how many of you are ready for some fun this morning? Yeah. All right. Good, good. Um, Well, uh, kind of fun. we got a pop quiz. How many are ready? All right, so we've got some historical figures that, uh, that, I, that I picked out, so I'm going to go through a slideshow here, and I just want to see if any of you can pick out the names and kind of what they're about. So we're going to start off with Giovanni Belzoni. Anybody recognize him? There we go. Bernardino Drovetti, Heinrich Schleiman, Mel Fisher, ah, some of y'all might know him, Philip Masters, Robert F. Marks, and H. Charles Beale ringing any bells for y'all? I know they flashed across pretty quick, but if you know any of these names, you should kind of understand the kind of where they're grouping in. So let's move on to some other maybe not so historical figures. Uh, let's start off with Nathan Drake, maybe Jim Hawkins or Dirk Pitt, Ben Finnegan, Harry Steele, Fred Dobbs. Uh, Richard O'Connell. hey, I heard it, Laura Crofts. <laughs> Alan Quartermain, and whoa, who's that? Go back there. Who's that? Come on, y'all say it. Indiana Jones. So maybe do you see a theme here? What do they all do? What do they all hunt after? Treasure, right? So believe it or not, that's what we do as well. We're always seeking treasure, but what's different about these people is that all of them had the one thing in common, is that they gave up everything literally everything else, to become aficionados, experts in the field of finding the lost treasure. Right? So today we explore two parables that tell us the same tale. Relentless treasure seekers who gave up everything in pursuit of their treasure. Y'all grab your Bible, you got your smartphone, your iPad, hard copy. OC, already got me at home. So, y'all say, I give up. I give up. Yeah. So, heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there, has, there was a tre- hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. And because of uncovering such a treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so that he could have the treasure. Right? And we're in Matthew 1344. 1345 states that heaven's kingdom realm is also like a jewel merchant in search of rare pearls. Verse 46, when he discovered one very precious and exquisite pearl, he immediately gave up all that he had in exchange for it. So what is treasure? We kind of see it here. Jewel merchant finds a pearl somebody's trespassing, whoops, I found something, (laughs) right? So, treasure is an accumulated wealth in the form of either money or jewels. Something of great worth or value, a collection of precious things. That's what the dictionary says that it is. But it can be so much more. And what we see is there's two tales, even though it tells the same, of who finds the treasure. The first one, In Matthew 13, 44, is unintentional. Just kind of trespassing, kind of rolling through the land. Oh, hey, I found it. But guess what? He couldn't have it because he didn't own the land. So he had to sell everything so he could own the land and have the treasure. And that rings true even in today. If If you find something, whether it be below the ground or beneath the ocean, the owner has rights and has to release those for you to be able to own the treasure. So typically, you go by the land, or you find a mediated agreement if you find it under the ocean. And the second one is the, the merchant. He was an expert, knew exactly what he was looking for. He'd find a great pearl, a good one, a better pearl. But when he found that one, above all else, he said, I'm done. I'm giving up everything for this one because it's worth it. Luke twelve thirty one through 34 says, As you passionately seek his kingdom, above all else, he will supply your needs. So don't ever be afraid, dearest friends. Your loving father joyously gives you his kingdom with all of its promises. Now, go and sell what you have and give to those in need. You'll be making deposits in your account in heaven, and an account that will never be taken from you. Your gifts will become a secure and unfailing treasure deposited in heaven forever. Where you deposit your treasure, that is where you fix your thoughts, and your heart will long to be there also. Another writer translation states, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Right? So where's your treasure this morning? Treasure is something that's formed deep in the earth. Right? The pressure pushes and grinds away and takes minerals, makes them into something that is so rare and valuable. But what makes it rare and valuable? There's plenty of it under the ground. It's that somebody took the work to dig under, and it's just not found anywhere. You have to find it specifically somewhere. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So that treasure in our earthen vessels, guess what? It's not on the surface, but it comes out. How? Because that treasure is formed. There's that immense pressure. Life puts pressure on you. When the heat is on, what's forming inside of you? What's going to come up out of you? When you get those irritations, do you let God kind of start forming some good things in you? Or do you just kind of let it become bitterness? It's in the heat, the pressure, and the darkness where that treasure is formed. Y'all been through some storms? In dark places? Guess what? God is putting some great things in you that would never happen any other way. Kind of like Elisha. When Elisha got called, He kind of had to say, okay, I got to figure out where my treasure is. Elijah comes. He's like, hey, let me throw my coat on you. In those times, it meant I want to tutor you. I want to give you my blessing. So Elisha, he's got a family. He's got mom. He's got dad, brother, sisters, a whole farm. He's plowing on the oxen when Elijah comes through. But at that moment, he dropped everything and said, I give it for the call. Okay. And that call has been going on from the, before time even began for each and every one of us. Because a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world said, I'm going to give up everything wow. so that you can have everything. So follow me in bearing your cross. Or follow me as I follow Christ, some of the apostles wrote. So are we going to give up everything? Elisha did. He gave up everything to follow after the path God had laid in front of him. He let go of his family, his occupation, and the full life that he knew. I mean, Pastor Terry and anita they've given up everything. Has some kind of in-the-house kind of get to know, like you know them. They left everything over 20 years ago to come to little old Leesburg. And that's why we sit here today, because they invested their treasure was found, and they kept pursuing it as a kingdom treasure. So you look at other historical figures through, through the, the time of the Bible as well, and you've got Noah. You've got Abraham, who left his entire family behind, came to a new land. Abraham did that, and it blessed an entire world. David left his family for the palace. Moses, he he took off but came back. I mean, there was a call coming. One got knocked off his horse, and that was Saul. He became Paul. He went from persecuting to being persecuted, all for the sake of a treasure that he found. And ultimately, the ones called were the 12. Jesus said, follow me. Peter, James, John, Matthew, Luke, Mark. Twelve disciples followed after him. They let it all go. So what does it look like to find a treasure? You know, when you find a treasure, you kind of say, okay, God, what do I have to do to kind of just separate from that that you don't need? What am I going to have to give up? And I'd like to say I haven't had to give up much myself, but... Sometimes you got to make a hard decision. And when I was 19 years old, almost 20, God said go. And at that moment I knew it was time to pivot away from everything that I had ever known. Kind of like Elisha. Walked away from my family. Still know them, still have them, but... God had to take me outside of their influence to form that treasure inside of me, okay? (laughs) Have I been through some dark places? Absolutely. Have I been through some pressure? (laughs) You betcha. You know, I had a great job before I left. I grew up in Indiana, moved from a corporate position to something where I had no idea what was next with every turn. So there was that stability, that money, But the fact that God would take me there, and he's blessed me literally every step of the way, and has not failed to let me down or provide for me, and when I'm married, having children, my family. Tremendous blessings. But let me tell you the tale of a different story, and that's that of the rich young ruler. In Matthew 19, Jesus told the story, or Matthew told the story of Jesus as he met a young man. He said, Another day, a man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus replied, Why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you, right? And the man asked, Well, what particularly? And Jesus said, Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't do bad things. Honor your mom and dad. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. So the young man replied, I've done all of this. So what's left? Jesus lays the hammer. And he said, If you want to give it all you've got, go and sell your possessions. Give everything to the poor. Everything. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then, Come and follow me. And that was the last straw, the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. Why? He was holding on tight to a lot of things. And he couldn't bear to let go. What are you holding on to today? What do you got a grip on so big that you can't bear to let go? Is it money? Is it a talent? Boats, cars, a job? Maybe it's asking you to compromise and do some maybe morally unethical things. This I promise you. And Jesus summed it up in, in four words. My version. Love God, love people. That's it. Right. That's it. And here at the Father's house, we wholeheartedly believe in that idea. Because first things first, because he first loved me, I gladly give everything. So let's talk about what's next. What's next for you? Matthew wrote in chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. In His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. It's the best exchange you could ever have. God, I give you this relationship, and He turns around and gives you so much of a better one. God, I give you my job, and He provides all your needs in unexpected, amazing ways. But if you're having trouble, maybe the next step is celebrate recovery for you. And Celebrate Recovery is an amazing place that we have here at TFH. It's for people with hurts, habits, and hangups. It's a great place for you to help others, but also to find help to let go of the things that are holding you back. Right? I know a lot of people that have been through Celebrate Recovery and still continue because you know what? You got to have a community that helps you in every step of the way. Remember how we said, I give up earlier? Why don't you go ahead and grab your connection card this morning? Go ahead. Grab a connection card. And on there, just think of something that may be holding you back from all that God has for you, that maybe you can let go of and say, I give up and then fill in the blank. Online church, let's hashtag it. Hashtag I give up. Father, we thank you for the treasure that you've given us. The talents, the resources, and everything else in between. Let us not hold on more tightly to those than we do you. In your name we pray. Amen. Check out this video. What do I think God is like? God is like everything. Our whole being. Our whole universe. Perfect. <laughs> I guess you could say perfect. I don't know. I've heard both sides and I'm kind of in the middle. I don't think he or she has a sex. It's more spiritual. I think it's... Something that science hasn't discovered yet. Very merciful and loving.
1: A kind person, a person that wants to see us succeed in life. There's, there's no way to say what God is life, because then we're putting it in human terms. God is
0: everything and nothing. I wish I knew, <laughs> but I, you know, I feel it's a spirit. I think he's an all-forgiving God. He's an all-loving God. He loves people no matter race, color, creed gender, sexuality. Uh, Yeah, that's my belief.
1: What is God like? I think that if we asked, went around the room and asked that, if we asked online, wherever the setting was, I think that we would get a lot of different perspectives. Um, Some right and some wrong, as you saw in the video. There's a man named A.W. Tozer, and he said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think that that's true because think about it, no pun intended, (laughs) Um, whatever we think about we'll do. You never did something without a thought first. You never said something without a thought first. So I think it's true that that is one of the most important things about us. Now, for those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Andrea, and I'm the worship pastor here at the Father's House. And today we're going to be in Luke 15. We're going to talk about another parable today. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke 15. And I'll meet you there in a few minutes. Um, Luke 15 is one of those famous passages where Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And the religious leaders of his day question him. They ask him this. Why do you hang out with sinners? Now Jesus responds by telling actually a trilogy of parables. And we heard about the first two last week. Pastor Jim did an amazing job teaching on the first two. The lost shepherd and the lost coin. And today... I would like for us to talk about that third one in the trilogy and what jesus is trying to do his response is to this question he's trying to correct the flawed view of his listening audience of what god is like and what his kingdom is like um the, the third parable, remember I, I just talked about the first two, the, the lost shepherd, the lost coin. The third one is called the lost son. A, a lot of people refer to it as the prodigal son, but really it's about a father and two sons. It's not just about one son, and we're going to talk about all of those characters today. So Jesus starts off by saying, a certain man had two sons. And he starts off this parable with talking about the younger son. The younger son, one day, he comes up to his dad, and he says, Dad, how about you give me my inheritance early? Now, the listening audience would have been completely amazed at this question because essentially what he's saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead and just give me the money that you owe me or that I'm due because I want what you can give me but I don't want you. Now, in Jewish culture, that would have been very, very, very offensive. I think we can all say that it's pretty offensive in any culture. I mean, dads, correct me if I'm wrong, but if your son came up to you this afternoon and said, hey, dad, um, how about we just pretend you're dead and you give me all of my money now? I'm pretty sure you'd look at him and say, "Uh, how about we pretend you're dead and you go to your room? How about that? There'd probably be some other choice words, but we're going to keep it G-rated today. I know there'd be some other choice words that I would have. But not the dad in this story. He doesn't, he doesn't respond that way. He shockingly gives the son his inheritance. And the younger son, he takes, he takes all of his inheritance, and he, he goes off to a foreign country, and he spends all of the money, He wild living. He, 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 he spends his time with prostitutes, and, and he's just going nuts out there. And he gets to this place where all the money's gone, and a famine hits the land. So now he has no money, I'm pretty sure probably no friends because the money has run out, right? No money, no friends, and he finds himself asking for a job on a farm tending to pigs. Now, right here at this point in the story, it would have been as if the air was sucked out of the room because the Jewish um, culture, in Jewish culture, they, they weren't allowed to eat pigs, let alone tend to them. So sad, I know, no bacon, No wonder they were uptight, because bacon makes everything better. But in their minds, the sun in this story had sank to the lowest of lows. But in this low spot, Scripture says that this is where he actually comes to his senses. Can I tell you that we don't often readily recognize this as a scene as God's grace? See, in one version, it actually says, and no one would give him anything. He had nothing. But we don't recognize this as God's grace. But oftentimes in His grace, He will allow us to exhaust ourselves. He'll allow us to hit rock bottom to realize that what we were seeking after, that what we thought would satisfy us, never could. So that we would come to our senses. I want you to do me a favor this morning. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. Because I want us to actually place ourselves into this story. And I kind of see it like this as I was, as I was reading this parable over, and, and I thought to myself, you know, here's this younger son, and, and he's, he's, he's come to the end of himself. He's got no money. He's got no friends. Nobody would even give him anything if he was begging out on the street. He's starving. He's contemplating eating the pig slop. And he comes to his senses and thinks to himself, my dad's hired servants are eating better than I am. And maybe he's walking around the farm one day and, you know, in every good storyline, every good movie, there's this moment where the theme song comes on and the main character, or one of the main characters, begins to get real reflective on their life. And that's sort of how I see this. So picture yourself. He's, he's, he's in the barn. He's, he's, he's walking around. He's, he's, he's finally coming to his senses and he looks off into the distance and he sees a stall that he's never gone in before. So he walks over, and he opens up the door, and to his surprise, he sees a piano off in the corner of the stall, and he thinks to himself, I'm going to sit down, and maybe, just maybe, he would have sang a song like this. So in this desperate, disgustingly low, yet clarifying moment, he realizes that even his dad's hired servants are taken care of and decides that he will go back to his father, so he drafts this speech of repentance that he has sinned against God in heaven, that he's sinned against his father, and that he's no longer worthy of being called his son, but is going home to ask his dad for employment. I think that's significant because he didn't, he didn't go and ask to be a servant. Servants lived in the home. A hired servant didn't. So he thought he was so far gone that he couldn't even ask to live back in the Father's home. Now remember the audience that's there. Remember you have the Pharisees and they're, they're thinking to themselves, I, I really believe that they didn't like the first two stories that you told last week, Pastor Tim, because each one of those stories ended with there is more rejoicing and there's a bigger party in heaven when one sinner comes back home, right? They didn't like that. But this story, this, the beginning of this story, they could get behind this. They're like, oh, this dad's gonna get him. You reap what you sow. He deserves to be punished to the fullest. Wasting his dad's hard earned money like that, rolling around with prostitutes and pigs, he deserves what he's getting ready to get. And then you have the sinners that are thinking, story of my life, that is me. That's me in the lowest of lows. I'm down in a pit. I've made decision after decision that has led me to where I am today. I'm too far gone. I'm an outcast in society. Nobody will come around me. I'm not welcome in anywhere. There's no way this dad is going to receive him back. After all, nobody receives me. Why would that dad receive him back? But remember, Jesus is telling the story to correct the flawed view of the entire audience of what God and his kingdom are like. And because Jesus is a master storyteller, he's going to show them, whether they recognize it or not, that the two sons in the story represented everyone that was in the room. Now here's where the story starts to get super scandalous. Let's pick it up in verse 20. Verse 20 says, So he got up and returned to his father. Who is he? The younger son. So the younger son got up and returned to his father. The father looked off in the distance and saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for his son and ran out to him, enfolded him in an embrace, and kissed him. Now I want to stop right here because this passage of scripture is astounding to me. And not because of what most people say that the, that the father was, had to have been watching for his son every day if he were to have seen him coming from afar off. You don't just, I don't know about you, I don't, I don't just sit and gaze off into the horizon. Unless I'm on the beach, then, you know, that's a different story. But when I'm at home, I don't sit on my porch and gaze off into the horizon, do you? So that has to tell me that he was looking intently for him. But that's not what astounds me. That is astounding. But what astounds me in this particular passage is that Jesus is communicating to the entire room that when you find yourself in that moment of shame, guilt, regret, Find yourself in this place of, of sin and, and, and just this going around the same mountain over and over and over again. You can't seem to get off the wheel. Do you know what the Father feels towards you when you look in his direction? Compassion. Not disappointment. Not anger. Not rejection. Compassion. Verse 21 says, The son said, Father, I have done a terrible wrong in God's sight and in your sight too. I have forfeited any right to be treated as your son. But the father turned to his servants and said, Quick! bring the best robe we have and put it on him put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet go get the fattest calf and butcher it let's have a feast and celebrate because my son was dead and is alive again he was lost and has been found so they had this huge party at this point the Pharisees would have been going what the what what is going on didn't expect that one coming right they would have been like, what? First of all, Jewish men didn't run. They didn't run. The patriarch didn't run because he would have been wearing something that looked like a robe, and he would have had to gather it all up, hike it up, and exposing his legs, and that was considered to be undignified. So he, he, the fact that he ran was mind-blowing to them. And then he touched him? What? He's been with prostitutes, he's been with pigs, and ceremonially, this meant that he was unclean. And now if you were unclean, if I touched you, now I'm unclean. Not this father. He ran out. And you kissed him? You didn't even make him take a shower first? Change his clothes? Something? No. He didn't. They're thinking, wait, whoa, wait, no, no punishment. That's what you're saying here. No punishment? That's where you're going? No punishment. This kid is seriously getting a party. This is so unfair. This is like you didn't eat dinner but you get dessert. <laughs> and honestly, if if we're if we're honest with ourselves as a parent, most of us would be like, "Oh, you're not dancing until you sit right there and you think about what you did." Yeah. Not the father in this story. He didn't even let the son finish his speech. He didn't even get to the part where he he asks to be a hired servant. He insisted his son put on his new clothes, his new jewelry, and that he get on the dance floor. See, folks, there's something that I know about genuine repentance. It not only brings forgiveness, but it brings total restoration. Those three things... The robe, the ring, and the shoes, they all represent something significant. I don't have the time to go into it, and I wish I did, because his word is so rich and deep. But go and study it for yourself, and you'll begin to understand even more about this parable. But those three things tell me that he was restored. He wasn't just forgiven. He was restored. See, the father wasn't moved by the son's word alone, by his words alone. He was actually moved by his actions that were motivated by a humbled, repentant heart. See, the, the son, he could have stayed in that barn stall forever and sang that song and continued to live the way he wanted to live. Maybe somebody would have came by and heard him, noticed him, gave him a record deal. Maybe he would have been a success with that one-hit wonder, but still lived the same way. He could have gotten on Facebook and crafted this great post of how great God is and and how I'm following what I'm what, what he's doing in my life, but yet still living the way you want, living the way he wanted to. No. Genuine repentance. See, we think of we think of repentance as is that, that we 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 get alone and we 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 pray and we say God, I'm so sorry um, for what I've done um, and, and I, I thank you that you're going to forgive me and okay, amen. And then we keep doing the same things over and over again. That's not what genuine repentance is. Repentance means that I'm over here in this state of, of remorse and, and I've come to my senses and I, and I realize that what I'm doing is so far removed from the Father that I have to make a choice that I no longer sit in my sin, that I say, I'm done, and I walk the other way, and I come over here, never to return back over there. That is genuine repentance. That is genuine repentance, and that is what the Father is drawn to. See, there's a verse in Matthew 15 that says, people honor me with their lips, but their heart are nowhere near me. Now, at this point in the story, Jesus introduces the older son. Verse 25 says, Now the man's older son was still out in the fields working. He came home at the end of the day and heard music and dancing. Side note, if you can hear dancing, that is a rager. I mean, for real. Apparently, you all have never heard dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant said, your brother has returned and your father has butchered the fattest calf to celebrate his safe return. The older brother got really angry and refused to come inside. So his father came out and pleaded with him to join the celebration. But he argued back, listen, all these years I've worked hard for you. I've never obeyed one of your orders. But how many times have you even given me a little goat to roast for a party with my friends? Not once. This is not fair. So this son of yours comes, this wasteful delinquent who has spent your hard-earned wealth on loose women. And what do you do? You butcher the fattest calf from our herd. The father replied, my son, you are always with me. And all i have is yours isn't it right to join in the celebration and be happy this is your brother we're talking about he was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found again older son said what same reaction as the pharisees that we heard earlier he's so in this idiot This son of yours has wasted all of your hard-earned money, and you're just like, robe, ring, shoes, steak, get on the dance floor. Notice he doesn't even associate himself with being his brother. See, bitterness will cause you to elevate yourself and look down your nose at others. The older son's focus is on himself, what he had done, and what he thought he deserved as a result of it. Look at what he said. He said, all these years I've worked hard for you. I've never disobeyed one of your orders. But how many times have you even given me a little goat to... I really honestly read this as, but how many times have you even given me a little goat to roast for a party with my friends, not once? (laughs) That's how I read that. There's a couple of problems. There's a couple of problems with these statements here. One, he says, I've never disobeyed one of your orders. Not true. Scripture says there's not one who's good. The only one who is good, the only one who has lived a sinless, perfect life is Jesus. So that statement can't be true. So you just lied there. So you're, you know. The second thing that I see that's wrong here is he's, he's, he says, basically, you've never given me a goat. You've never given me this. But we didn't read this earlier, but I have to go back to this in verse 12. Um, the father when the younger son came to his father and he said, I want my inheritance now, the father went ahead and distributed between the two sons their inheritance. He didn't just give the younger son his inheritance. He distributed it between both of them. And if you were the firstborn, what did you get? Double portion. I'm pretty sure he probably had several goats he could have. Uh, goat, why are you asking for a goat? For Do you ever like read some of the stuff and you're like, goat, that's what you're going for? You want, you, want a, you want a goat for your friends? I'm wanting filet mignon, people. I don't want a goat, okay? But see, bitterness, jealousy, and anger will distort our views of ourselves, others, and God. Honestly, his thinking here is jacked up. This thinking, this this speech is It's not father-son language. It's master-slave language, which honestly tells me he really didn't have a relationship with his father. The older son thought that because he stayed behind, obeyed his father, did the right thing, that he earned his inheritance. That because of those things, he should have earned his father's love, acceptance, and reward too. But no amount of righteous work will ever earn us anything. The older son lived in his father's house but he failed to know his father's heart. Jesus is giving us a warning here. If we aren't careful in keeping our heart aligned with the father's heart, which is placing the utmost value on lost people, we will develop OBS. Not to be confused with IBS, OBS, older brother syndrome. Well, Pastor Andrea, how do I know if I've got that? I'm so glad you asked. Here are three, just real quick, three, three symptoms that you can watch for to make sure that you don't have older brother syndrome. One is your first reaction to people and sin is anger. Second one is you resent that God hasn't done more for you. Or third, you underestimate the power of grace. Do you think either son deserved the, great, the father's grace in light of either one of their behaviors? I sure don't think so. Um, honestly, my first thought was everybody's getting spankings with a belt and they're going to their room, they're grounded for life. But not, not the Father. His grace is boundless. And it's His to give and it's not dependent on you or I. Remember, Jesus is correcting a flawed view of who God is. And He is not you or I and He does not act the way you or I do. Because this is his nature, nothing you do or don't do can change who God is. It's interesting to me how Jesus completely cliffhangs the story. We, we hear about how the younger son that he comes to his senses and he returns back home to the Father. He's received lovingly with compassion. The father is the father and the younger son, the restored back to right relationship. But the story just abruptly ends right there. And we don't know about the older brother. Did he decide that he was going to come out of his pity party, stop pouting on the front porch? And did he go in? Was the entire family reconciled? Did he choose to say, my brother is more important to me than anything and that he's home safe. Did he rush in and grab the neck of his younger brother and say, welcome home and join him on the dance floor? We don't know because the story just abruptly ends there. And I don't think that's a mistake. I think Jesus was telling his listeners and us today that you can do good You can follow the rules. You can even be in the house. But without a relationship with the Father, you're still lost. Both sons were lost. One was lost physically, but the other was just as lost because he left home in his heart. You can go to church. You can read the Bible, attend every life group, go to every conference. You can do all the things. You can serve, you can serve on every single serving team that we've got here. But if there's no relationship with the Father and you allow anger, bitterness, jealousy, and envy to build up in your heart towards him, your brothers and your sisters, you too will leave home in your heart and you too will be lost. Bottom line is no matter how obedient you are, if done from a self-righteous attitude, it's sin. And sin separates us from him. God doesn't desire to have a relationship with you for what you can do for him. Quite the opposite. He desires purely out of his love for you because he values precious things. And you and me and everyone who is lost out there are precious to him. Even the older brother, was precious to him what did it say how did the how did the older brother res, or how did the father respond to the older brother it said that he entreated him he went out and he begged him with compassion come in come in and join the party come in and join the celebration he responded with compassion and grace because remember you can't change the character of god There's a rule we learned back in the day in economics that you can determine the value of something based on the price someone is willing to pay for it. God the Father has placed the greatest value on you and on me and those that are far from him in order for relationship to to be restored with him. He was willing to pay the greatest price imaginable, the life of his own son, Jesus. There is no greater price So Jesus, in obedience to the Father, with the joy set before him, what was that joy? That joy was you, and that joy was me. With the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He gave up his life. And all who accept by faith and believe in his death, burial, and resurrection receive the full payment of sin and are restored to a right standing with the Father as a son or a daughter. You and I owed a great debt. If sin were a bank account, our bank account would be so far in the negative that in all of eternity we would never, ever be able to get caught up, break even, or pay it back. And when we believe and accept this exchange that happened on the cross, our bank account immediately says paid in full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your your grace and your compassion. We thank you for your patience, God. We thank you for your love that you so generously give of yourself freely. Father, I thank you for the truth that has been spoken here today. And if maybe there are some of us here that we have, we really identify with the older brother and we've noticed some things that have been going on in our heart that, we want to take care of right now. We don't want to let it fester anymore. We want our attitudes to be corrected. We want mindsets to be corrected. We want we want to love the things that you love, God. We want to be passionate about the things that you're passionate about. So Father, I pray that for those of us in the room or maybe watching online that you really identify with the older brother. There's good news because the Father has grace and compassion for you too. And he'll show you the things that need to be corrected and he'll lovingly show you how to do that. So Father, I thank you for those of us in the room that are maybe getting real honest with ourselves and Holy Spirit that you're illuminating different things in our lives. And I thank you that you're patient with us and I thank you that you never leave us. You're gonna walk right by our side. You don't, you are, you're not asking us to get everything cleaned up right now in this moment, but that we just recognize and that we choose to step on a path to change. Maybe you're here today and you have realized that you're the younger son in this story, that you have gone so far away from the father, that you need to come back home. Maybe you're the younger son in the way of you didn't even know that there was a father that was searching for you all along. But you've come to your senses today. And you recognize that you're in need of a savior. And he's here waiting with open arms to receive you with compassion and grace. See, there are two places that we could spend eternity. One is in heaven with God the Father for all of eternity, enjoying the blessings and the presence of all that he is. But there is another place, and it's called hell. God the Father did not design hell for you or for me. He designed it for Satan and the angels that fell. See, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose To go, And I want to give every single person in this room an opportunity today. Those of you that are watching online right now, maybe you'll be watching it later. I want to give you an opportunity in this moment to make a choice. Because God is is here. He's already done it. He said it is finished. Now we just have to choose. So maybe that's you today. That you're like, I give up. Like Eddie talked, I give up. You give up of all the worldly treasures and you say, I want to exchange that for all the treasures in heaven. If that's you today, I just want to ask you to be bold and just raise your hand. I'm not going to tell you to get up and come up front and give a speech. Thank you, I see that hand. Others today, thank you, I see that hand. I see those hands. Others today that you say that I've got to make that choice today. Don't wait any longer. He has so much for you so much for you, so much goodness. and You don't have to figure it all out right now. You just have to make the choice. And the way we make the choice is that the Bible says that we are to confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, was buried, and was raised to life to give each and every one of us life. So for the four or so of you that have raised your hands This morning, and along with the rest of the people in this building, let's all say this prayer together out loud. Dear Jesus, I recognize today that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Right now, I confess with my mouth that Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe that you died, you rose to bring me new life. And as best as I know how today, I'm going to serve you with all of my heart. Father, I thank you for these people that have said, you know, I'm not going to be stuck in, I I see a way out and the way out is you, Jesus. And I'm going to give my whole heart to you. We prayed all these things in the matchless, wonderful name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Let's celebrate.
0: As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to help you continue that journey. To find out what your next steps are in your relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com forward slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and make disciples.